Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Moses, it is I, the Lord God. Come up to the top of Mount Sinai and bring with you Aaron, the priest, and 70 of the elders of Israel. They are to worship at a distance. But you, Moses, you alone are to approach me. For I will make a covenant with my people, and you will be their mediator. And so Moses did exactly as the Lord commanded when he spoke to him. In preparation for his sixth journey, to the top of the mountain since their arrival at Sinai after the escape from Egypt, Moses gathered Aaron, he gathered the priest, and he gathered all of the elders together just as he was instructed. The next morning, the group of them, they built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And there he set 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Moses sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice of the animal. He took the blood and he sprinkled it over the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it aloud for the group that was there at the altar. And after this They, the group that was there at the altar, all in unison, agreed to listen and obey the commands of the Lord. And so then after that, Moses took the same blood, turned around, and sprinkled it onto the priest there at the bottom of the mountain. This is the first recorded moment in scripture that the priest now understood what their role was going to be in the new country. And so after this, this moment at the altar at the bottom of the mountain of Mount Sinai, the group stood up and then the unthinkable happened. See, Moses took Aaron, the now high priest, and the remaining priest and the elders and those in the group there, and they went up to the mountain. Now, no one has ever gone to the top of the mountain except for Moses. He's he's the only one. No one's ever been. He, Moses, had already been to the top of the mountain five other times. He was very familiar with the journey. He knew the way. He knew the path to get to the top. And what Moses knew is that he always knew 
who was waiting for him when he got there. And so the group wasn't really too sure what to expect. They've never been on this journey. They weren't quite sure why God told Moses to bring them along. And they weren't too sure what exactly was waiting for them at the top. But when they arrived, when they got to the top of Sinai, the group found themselves in the literal presence of God. He was there. They can actually see him, God, on top of the mountain. The God that had brought down the plagues, who had rescued them out of Egypt, the one who split open the Red Sea just by his command, is now standing before them, and their eyes can see the Lord. Now we know, according to Scripture, that man cannot, cannot see or be, be in the literal presence of God for our, our sinful nature clashes with his holiness. But the scripture here on this particular day says that God, when the men, when the group of them came into the presence of God, into the literal presence of God, the scripture says that he did not raise his hand against them. He did not raise his hands against the new leaders of Israel, but instead he invited them to come eat and drink with him. There in his presence, come and be with me. And so after all of this, after this group of men were in the presence of God, fellowshipping, eating, and enjoying each other's company and fellowship. Then Moses tells the group, all right, it's time for all of you to go back down to the mountain. For only Moses can move forward for what's next. And so as they go down, he climbs to the top, to the very tip of Mount Sinai, for God has instructions for the new nation of Israel. And for the next 40 days and 40 nights, God solidifies the covenant that he is making with his people. God gives Moses two tablets of stone with 10 commandments on them for his people now to follow. He gives him instructions on how to build the tabernacle and how to put together the Ark of the Covenant. He gives details on what the priest should wear when they're in his presence. He even goes into detail on how the temple vessels should be used. The bowls, the cups, the candle holders, everything. These are how these vessels are to be used. Telling them that even these, these little things are to be consecrated, to be set apart, kept separate from everything else. And after, at the end of the 40 days and the nights there on Mount Sinai, God created for himself a new nation with new laws and a new way of life. He had created a new covenant, a covenant that will be passed down from generation to generation through the acts of the temple. 
Let's pray. Father, we pray now. We pray for your word to be clear and that it not be confusing. Father, I pray that when we dive in, when we look at this, that we have a clear understanding, Lord, of what it is you want us to do after this moment. Lord, I pray specifically that I I only deliver what is truth. What is your truth? And if I say anything but that, then correct me. For God, I only want all of us to be in union with you. So Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought I would do something a little different this morning. Um, You know, we had just completed through our series of Hezekiah, and then we went through Josiah, kind of keeping around in the kings there. And I I will tell you, I I thoroughly enjoyed diving into those stories and into that Old Testament. Uh, And so I thought I would do is have a one, this is kind of just a one-off, it's not really a part of a series, but an individual uh, message or sermon here. Because you see, in the next few weeks, the next couple of Sundays, uh, in the pipeline, we have a couple of special Sundays coming up. We have a men's Sunday and a women's Sunday and, and all that. So, so I, I kind of got this rare, rare opportunity where I just had one kind of off to itself. So what I thought I'd do is, well, given that it's the middle of October, can you believe middle of October? And I can already see throughout the land all of the little decorations popping up, and I know all the kids are getting ready for their trips and their treats and all this sort of thing. So I thought I would do just a one-off here of a sermon or a message that would take us to a moment in time that brought a sense, I would say, a sense of real fear and spookiness and the supernatural. You know, the scripture has those. So I thought we would look at Daniel chapter 5. Ooh. Now, this right here in Daniel chapter 5, this is a a one-of-a-kind moment. Really, it really is a a one-of-a-kind moment where God communicated. He is giving communication. He is speaking down to his people, to us, and he's doing so not through a prophet. Usually what we saw through 2 Kings, and first, we see that God speaks to the prophet, and then the prophet gives it to the people. And oftentimes, if they don't like the message, they take it out on the prophet. And so this is a time where God is not necessarily using a prophet to give the first communication, but instead he is using the supernatural to deliver a message. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, and we know that name, I'm sure, if you look through our, our Bible uh, history and story in Daniel, and we know King Nebuchadnezzar was the guy that came and he, he really overtook Judah. He came, if you recall, during our series of Hezekiah and Josiah, we kept, they kept hinting toward, they kept saying, listen, Judah will fall. I will, and in fact, God even told the prophet that I will allow Judah to fall to its enemies. And since that moment, now picking up in Daniel chapter 5, Judah has fallen. The enemies came knocking, which was Nebuchadnezzar, and he did take full and total control over Jerusalem. And so since then, what we see is that Nebuchadnezzar is the great king of Babylon. He was the king that, that fulfilled that prophecy. 
But before his death, because see, this story is not about him, but before his death, before Nebuchadnezzar had actually died, he, believe it or not, even though it was the one that came and overtook Judah, overtook Jerusalem, we can read in the scripture and through history that Nebuchadnezzar had submitted himself and actually ended up following the ways of the Lord toward the end. Now, how that happened, I would say, is also supernatural because he was so prideful, Nebuchadnezzar was so prideful as the king of Babylon that God actually stripped him of his authority and gave him the mind of an animal and sent him out to the pastures to graze on the grass. And so here's the mighty king of Babylon eating with the cows. And it wasn't until that he was able to submit and actually say that you, God, are the greatest, was then God gave him back his authority. And so here at the end, Nebuchadnezzar actually, who humbled himself, was following the ways of the Lord. However, the new king, uh, uh, one has now taken the throne after his death, a new king has taken the reign of Babylon. His name is Belshazzar, Belshazzar. Now, history tells us this, that from chapter four to chapter five, just in between those two chapters, that there has actually been 14 years that have gone by. Now, if you read it in the Bible, you wouldn't be able to know that. You would just you look at one, one verse ends, the next one starts. But when we look actually through not only secular history, and we look through the commentaries and the scholars of the biblical world, we see that 14 years have taken place between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And in those 14 years, <coughs> Babylon has had three other kings before Belshazzar. So we're now on the fourth king since Nebuchadnezzar. Now, two of those kings were assassinated by their own people. And then one of those kings died of natural causes. And so, however, the one thing that did not pass down from each of those kings, the one thing that was left behind and what was lost during those years is remembering the God of Judah. It stopped with Nebuchadnezzar. The stories were there, but the kings didn't follow. And so Belshazzar had absolutely no interest in honoring the God of those who they took captive. You fell to me. Therefore, why should I honor your God? He didn't even save you. I have no time for him. Now, from what we know of the new king, Belshazzar, he was a bit of a... Uh, he was a bit of a playboy. He had a great deal of pride. He, he enjoyed hosting parties and gatherings. He liked to do these sorts of things now that he was in that position. And so he decides here at the beginning of chapter five, he decides that he wants to host a great banquet. It's time for a good time for, for a celebration. Maybe it's something, maybe we want to bat, but maybe something happened. I don't know. But it was time for a banquet, a celebration, and he didn't want a small party. That's not the way a king would roll. So he decides to invite a thousand of his nobles to the party. So a thousand people are now coming over to head to the banquet hall of the king. And as you can imagine, as you can imagine, because he's, he's going to want, he's invi- in fact, specifically invited them to come and drink wine with him. And as you can imagine, that is going to be a lot of cups. 
for a thousand person party. I don't think they had red solo cups at the time. Can you imagine a thousand people coming over and now you gotta figure out how you're going to feed and make sure they have drinks. But once, once they went through, once they all showed up and they started having a good time and they went through all of the cups and they started to run out of all of the, all of the supplies, all of the things that they would need to run a good party. Once all the cups they had were, the king remembered. He remembered that they had, they had this special set of cups stored away. Not for the public, but it was stored away. You see, these cups were not Babylonian. They had been passed down since the time of Nebuchadnezzar to each of the kings of Babylon, handed to them, handed to them, handed to them. When Nebuchadnezzar overtook Judah, when he went into Jerusalem and took Jerusalem, the first thing he did is that he raided the Jewish temple. And he took all of the temple vessels for his personal collection. He took all the bowls. He took all the cups. He took all the candlesticks. Sounds like the Grinch stolen Christmas, doesn't it? He took it all. He took everything. The temple vessels have been in the possession of the Babylonians ever since that moment. In his personal care and possession. And now, King Belshazzar decides that it is time to put those cups to good use. That it doesn't no longer need to be standing in a storage facility, not just for the kings. We're having a good time. We ran out of cups. We need to get something to drink here. And so he actually orders for his servants to bring the Jewish cups at once so that my, my friends can be married. And so the servants did just that. The servants went and brought in all of the Jewish cups from storage. And the first thing they did is they took these cups, the temple vessels, and they poured in their wine into the cup. And they would pass them down and pass them down. And the scripture says that the king, his nobles, his wives, his concubines, that all of them drank from the cups. And as they drank, they, they collected, they were, they were having a fantastic time. They were having a party. And they were drinking from, the, from quite nice cups, I may add, probably a little nicer than maybe what they were drinking out of. And they were drinking, having a fantastic time. And then here, it says that collectively, that once everyone had their fill, they then raised their Jewish cups up like this. And then collectively, they praised the gods of Babylon. We praise you, O God of gold, the God of silver, and the God of bronze, stone, and wood. We praise your name. And then here, the very vessels, the very ones that were set aside, that were consecrated for the Lord since the time of Sinai, since that moment on top of the mountain, the very thing that was consecrated, the physical representation of the covenant that was made with Moses are now being used for prideful pleasure, drunkenness, and idolatry. And the scripture says that while they were worshiping the gods of Babylon, something 
unusual happened. Something out of the norm. Something that wasn't normal, didn't know how to explain. They saw, the scripture says, the fingers of a hand appear. There was no body. It was just the fingers of a hand that showed up. And as they were having a good time and drinking their wine, they looked over to the wall and a fingers and a hand appeared and started to write a message on the wall. And the scripture says that the king turned pale and his knees started to tremble. The party was over. And as he was writing, the message on the wall said, Mani, Mani, Tekel, Parsin. There was only one problem. The king didn't know how to read it. He didn't know what it said. It's not his language. What is this? And so shaking out of fear, he calls for his enchanters, his astrologers, his diviners, and he calls them to all come to translate what that message says. Tell me what this means. Tell me. And each one of them went to the wall to try to look at the message and to read it. And as the astrologers came and went, as the diviners came and went, the magician, they all turned to the king and said, we don't know what it says. I, I, I can't tell you what this is. And so this even put more fear into the king, it says, that now he's actually getting to a level of stress and anxiety that he is now, what, what does this mean? What could this mean? And so in his moment of, of fear, and I've been there before in my moments of fear, the queen shows up and says, calm down, calm down. And she tells this king, don't be alarmed. <laughs> You're getting excited. You see, there, there is a man in your kingdom right now, O king, who can translate this. Oh, yeah, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, he had trouble with his dreams and he grabbed this man and he interpreted them for him and he turned out right. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, after that moment, appointed him as the head over the magicians, the enchanters, and the astrologers that you just called in for that time. And I'm here to tell you, king, he's still alive and he's in your kingdom right now. How about you call for Daniel? And he will tell you what that writing means. And so then the king, taking the advice of his queen, calls in Daniel. So Daniel was brought before the king. And then the king, of course, now, he's kind of putting on a nice little front here. We're not afraid of this. We're not scared of this. Oh, Daniel. Listen, are you Daniel? One of the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar brought from Judah? Yeah, I've heard about you. I've heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you. And that you can translate just about any message and dream. Now, if you can, Daniel, if you can tell me what this says right here, 
Here's what I'll do for you. I will clothe you in purple. I will then have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you, Daniel, will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I will give you royalty. I will give you possession. I will give you power. And so the king here is trying to persuade or buy off Daniel. This is once again the king's pride on full display. I can do these things for you, Daniel. He offers the purple cloth because it's a sign of his royalty that he can pass on to him. He says, here's a gold chain, which is the sign of every rap music video. Of a gold chain. You got to have one. I don't make the rules. And so you got to have one of those. But that's your possession. And then he offers him the third in the land, which is positional power. I will give you everything that I have, if you could translate this message. And so Daniel, after seeing the writing on the wall and looking to the king, he tells the king, you can keep everything that you have offered. Keep it all. But I will read and tell you what it says, for I do have the translation. But first, before I tell you what it means, I want you to know that Nebuchadnezzar's pride, your forefather, his pride led to the Lord taking away all of his authority. But after he humbled himself before the Lord, God restored his authority. It was given back to him. You, Belshazzar, however, have not humbled yourself though you knew all of this already. You knew the stories. You worship other gods. You take the vessels of the temple and use them for your worship. You find yourself equal to God himself. You do not honor the God who holds your life in his hands. Therefore, he sent that hand to write this message. This is what the message means, King. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the per. The per Thank you. My mind has been blank there. The Medes and the Parisians. Because of your pride, O king, your time as ruler has come to an end. Babylon will end here. And another kingdom will rule this land. And so despite declining the gifts, declining all of those things, the king, anyway, puts Daniel in purple. He grabs the gold chains and he puts it around his neck. And then he promotes him to the third position in the nation. But it didn't matter. 
none of that mattered. Because Scripture says that that same night, that same night, another kingdom attacked Babylon. And they killed the king. And Darius, Darius was now the new leader of this land called Babylon. It happened just like that. That the pride of this king ended an entire nation in one night. Now, it would be easy for us, it would actually be very easy for us to look back and to say that the point of this story, that when we read chapter 5 of Daniel, that the point of the story is that we should not drink from the Lord's cups. The guy likes his cups. And we can say that. We can look at the story and say, if he hadn't just done that, maybe it would have been okay. But I'm going to here tell you that this is not a story about cups. It's a story about you and me. You see, the old covenant, the old covenant that, that was made on Mount Sinai, the old covenant was displayed throughout the ways of the temple. Each thing in the temple, everything had its purpose, its place. Each vessel, each cup, each bowl, everything, everything was designed to bring a fallen humanity into the presence of a living God. It was to bring the two together. It was to be separated and consecrated for the purpose of bringing these two together, back into God. But when Christ died, when Christ went to the cross and died, a new covenant was given. A new covenant. His people now, because of the cross, his people are now the temple. And we, you and I, are his vessels. If God cared that much about cups and bowls, can you imagine what he thinks about you? What he thinks about you? You are his vessel. This is why it matters what God you are worshiping. How you are using your tongue. What you are allowing your eyes to see. How open your hand is toward others. And even how prideful our souls may be. We are his vessels. So what are you pouring into your cup? The wine of other gods? Or perhaps the pleasures of this world? Or does your cup overflow with his goodness? You prepare a table before me 
O Lord. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness will and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is inside your cup? Come and pray. And be with him. That is now you're seeking after the Lord. You're seeking after what is inside of your cup. What indeed, what am I filling myself with? I believe Jesus is on the I believe that. But now, after we experience the cross, after we accept salvation into our life, we must now take a step and we have to start filling ourselves with the things of the Lord. But I want to tell you that the world is going to want to keep filling itself in you. It's going to want to put fear into what God has given his hope. It's going to want to start continuing to say that these things, that you're under grace so you could do these things. That's an abuse of grace. But the world will want to fill itself in you. And sometimes, I'm just going to call it like it is. Sometimes we have to take the cup and just pour it out and start over. Lord, I've been filling it with the wrong stuff. Overflow my cup, Lord. Overflow. Because when all of it, and we know this, we know this, that when we fill our cup with Him, and we drink from that, well, I think there was a lady at the well that could tell you how that went. So this morning, what is your cup filled with? Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.